The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I want you to think about your friendships and what those friends do that demonstrate their friendship to you. Maybe it's um, they keep your secrets. You can trust them. Maybe it's that you know behind, uh, behind your back when you're not around that they'll protect you, they'll lift you up, they'll have your back. That's such a great quality in a friendship. Maybe it's that you know that they will be a listening ear for you and that they'll just be there, be present, they'll listen, they'll enter into that moment, even if it's about the same thing that you've shared with them a dozen times before. They're still there to be a a listening ear to enter into that moment. We have all of these things that when we think about friendship, there are these things that demonstrate our friendship to each other. And generally, a, a, a demonstration of friendship comes from a place of sacrifice on one person's part for the sake of another. I was thinking about that recently. I read an article about two friends, two best friends. Their names uh, are Stacy and Debbie. And they had a defining moment in their friendship where Debbie showed her deep friendship for Stacy. And I would venture to say it was an act of trust and self-sacrifice that is really extraordinary. Um, Debbie became the surrogate mother for Stacy and her husband. So here's how this, let me back up, here's how this friendship worked out. Their husbands worked together, and Stacy and Debbie met each other at a, a work event that for their husbands, and they got to know each other, and over the following weeks and months, they built like a really rich, uh, close friendship, and they started to kind of, the years passed, and their two families started doing life more and more together, and Debbie and her husband had uh, two children, and Debbie said, you know, man, the time uh, carrying those children, that was such a special time when I uh, was pregnant with with these, uh, with these little ones, and I just remember that time. It was a really beautiful time. But for Debbie's best friend, Stacy, Stacy and her husband uh, were having trouble carrying their children to full term. And so they had a series of miscarriages, and the two couples walked through that together. And um, somehow the idea came up where Debbie and Stacy talked, what if um, I carried the child, the embryo of you and your husband. So they talked about it as couples. They decided, like, let's let's do this. And and so um, they were they want Debbie and her husband wanted to be able to provide that for their dear friends. And so they took uh, the embryo from Stacy and her husband and introduced it into Debbie's body. And they all waited, wondering what was going to happen. And the, the big day came, Debbie and Stacy go to the doctor. They're wondering uh, if there's going to be that miracle of, of birth that's going to happen, the miracle of pregnancy. And they get to the doctor's office and sure enough, they hear a heartbeat. And then a second one. And then a third one. 
and a fourth one. Yeah. This is an act of love. <laughs> Debbie had experienced the joys of carrying one child at a time, and now she was going to experience the joys, the elation, the miracle of carrying Stacy and her husband's quadruplets. The pregnancy went on, the families came together, it came to a point where uh, Debbie was on bed rest and Stacy came over and Stacy's caring for Debbie as her four children are inside uh, Debbie and also caring for Debbie's two children because she can't get out of bed and she's caring for them. And then the, the moment came where uh, the children are born and uh, um, miraculously everything went smoothly. All four children were perfectly healthy and and their families continued on in their friendship, both families coming together to take care of all four infants together. And Stacy and her husband's four children, while they know who their parents are, they also celebrate Aunt Debbie who carried them uh, for that, that period of time. And uh, a cool end of the story is um, Stacy and her husband, after uh, having these four uh, babies, miraculously ended up having another child completely on their own. So now they have five, which is a, which is a handful. And so I heard that story and I was like, wow, okay. They, if they weren't good friends before, like they're good friends now. And if they survived all of that and are still good friends, Man, that is an incredible friendship story. See, there's something about friendship, the demonstration of friendship, that is a little more than, I like hanging out with you. Man, true friendship where we stop and say, okay, this person is a friend. There are things that demonstrate that, and it usually involves self-sacrifice on the part of one person for the other. See, I wonder if, um, you know, so often we have a, a low priority of friendship because we've got a lot of priorities we're trying to juggle. We've got career. We've got kids some, for some of us. We've got spouses for some of us. We've got a relationship with God. And we're trying to juggle all just those big four things. And honestly, sometimes we get those all out of whack because there's a very clear biblical paradigm for what the priorities. It's one, our relationship with God. Two, our marriages. Three, then our kids and our family. And four, our career. And trying to just keep those four things in their right priority is enough of a handful. And so often we say, look, I, I like friends. It's not that I don't like friends, but I can barely keep these four priorities uh, all going and in their right order, let alone adding friends. And I wonder if because we have a low priority for friendship is because we have a low view of friendship. And really what we reduce friendship down to is, a, is something that meets either or both of a recreational need of mine or an emotional need of mine. Friends are kind of like, well, I, I like my hobby and I like doing that hobby with someone. I, I, you know, it's, I don't want to go play golf by myself. I can't, it's not fun to play basketball by myself or I, I want to go do stuff with friends. I want to go out to dinner with friends. So I need friends so I have a re recreational need fulfilled for myself. Or maybe it's an emotional need, like, look, I, 
I'm going through like uh, something really wonderful right now. It's a victory. Who do I share that with? I'd love to, I don't want to, I don't want to share that with nobody. I, I want to share that with, with friends, or maybe it's not a victory. I'm going through a difficulty and who's there going to be there to walk through the difficult with me? So sometimes we've reduced friendship to merely someone that meets a recreational need for me or someone who meets an emotional need for me. And so then often what we say is, okay, yes, I'd love to fill those, but I will muscle through life with those needs not fully met because I can't keep it all up in the air. And what we've done is we've reduced friendship down to simply something that meets some needs for me. So we feel comfortable downshifting it to a priority that's kind of a, we look at it as be luxury, maybe in a different season of life when I'm not so busy. But I wonder if the problem is we don't have the view of friendship that God has of friendship. And I'd venture to say if we saw what God says about friendship, I mean, I think this passage, what it says about what God's intention for friendship, I found it to be shocking. And if we can understand what God's view and intentions for friendship is, I think it's going to change a lot of our practice about friendship. I want you to open with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. First John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 11. This is the passage that we've been working through in this series. Let's look and see what it says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me just read that again. Beloved, that's what he's calling us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is such a great verse to encapsulate this entire uh, passage that we've been looking. Let me just give you a little review of what we've been looking at through this passage. It starts out by telling us what our identity is. It calls you by a name, beloved. It starts by saying, look, before we talk about loving other people, let's first understand who we are, who our identity is. We are ones loved by God. He says, beloved. If God has so loved us, he says, you've got to start by knowing who you are, start by knowing that God loves you so deeply. In fact, he gives us a picture to understand how much God loves us. He says, um, we are born of God. In other words, it's like God looks at us and when we get saved, Jesus said it in, um, in, the, in the gospel of John John records it there. Jesus says um, that we have to be born again. He says it's like you're, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's like you are reborn and we become God's children. And he loves us. He looks at, down at us and says, look, because all of our sins washed away, he has nothing left but love for us as his sons and daughters. He says, I love you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to walk with you. I have a design and intention and a purpose for your life. He says, my provision is perfect. I'm not going to spoil you, but I'm going to bless you. My protection is perfect. I'm not going to remove all difficulty and pain because I know that that's how you grow and there's so much I'm going to redeem in your life, but I'm going to care for you like a loving father. He says that you can't imagine how much I love you. 
And he says, we are beloved by God. And if we're loved by God, then we love, since we're loved by God, we love other people. I want you to think about it like this. He's using these fam, this family metaphor. He says, if we put our faith in Jesus, we're born of God. And he says, and God is love. So in other words, it's like a f- love is like a family attribute. Have you ever looked at a, another family? Maybe you've been um, in a friend's house and you see pictures of maybe their extended family or you see pictures of when the, them when they're younger and you're like, wow, you look just like you know, your son or daughter who's now that age. Or you'll just see a, maybe a, a family of kids and you're like, man, there is something that's the same about all of them. I can't put my finger on it. It's like around the eyes somehow or something. You know what I'm talking about? There's like this family attribute. In, in our family, Rebecca and I, our, our youngest, our daughter, Hope, she's, uh, she's three and she has a, a dimple right here on her right cheek. And it is unmistakably the same dimple that Rebecca's dad had. It's the exact same dimple. And it's also the same dimple that Rebecca's oldest brother, John, has. And so Hope has the same dimple as her grandfather and as her uncle. And every time Hope breaks out into a smile and we see that dimple, it reminds us of that family attribute that, that she shares with the rest of, uh, of her family. It's like God is saying, look, I am love. You've been born of me. And so then you will carry, because you're so full of love and you're, you're operating from me, you will then be full of love. It's a family attribute. And he said earlier, he says, like, if you're not loving, are you part of that family? Because that's, it, God is love and you're born of God. And he fills you with his love. And the idea is that we're so filled with his love that it's like it's overflowing out of us and cascading onto the people around us. Now listen, you could probably share that with almost anyone on planet Earth. Hey, we're supposed to be so filled with love that we love other people. And I I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a human that wouldn't like the sound of that. We like that. As a whole, planet Earth, we're pro-love. We like it. We like to think about it. We like to think about how that's a good thing and that helps things. But see, John doesn't just leave the concept of love as just kind of like a nice, kind of cozy positive force or emotion. He very clearly defines love and it has an edge. Because if you share how John is defining love, that's going to be a game changer. Not everyone's going to get on board with that. Here's how John defines love. If you won't go back a few verses into chapter 3, verse 16, he defines it. Listen. By this... By this we know love. He says, this is how you know if it's love. This is what love is. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for our spiritual siblings. 
God's pouring his love out on us. He's not pouring just a positive vibe. He's not just pouring out a a good emotion. He's not just pouring out affection. Here's how he poured out his love. God in John 3, 16, he so loved the world that he gave the most radical act of generosity imaginable. His only son, he gave the treasure of the universe, Jesus Christ, God the Son, who came down to earth, brutally, torturously rejected, humiliated, and killed on a cross. And he gave that to us. Why? Because we could not be saved on our own. You can't do enough good. You can't be religious enough to be saved. We had a desperate need to be rescued. And through a tremendous act of generosity from God, he gave God the Son and Jesus walked in obedience to the Father, and he dies on the cross, rises again from the dead, so that we could be saved. He says, that is what I'm talking about when it comes to love. So listen, you with me? That then is what we do for each other. It's very clear. The family attribute is not merely... Man, I, I, I love going to the movies with, with you because you're my friend. It's not I love hanging out with you. It's not you make me laugh. It, it's not you do something for me. You feel, it's not you fill a re- recreational need. It's not you fill an emotional need. That family attribute of love is God gave himself for me. Now I want to give of myself for you. That's what he's talking about. That's, the, that's, the, that's how he's defining love. See, here's, here's how I want you to think about this. I think this is so powerful, the way that this passage is talking about friendship and love. It's like the gospel. It starts with you are loved, God has loved you, so you love others. It's like the gospel is this key that unlocks your capacity to love other people. It's like the gospel when you understand you didn't earn your way to salvation, but it was just an act of generous, self-giving love from God on you. That changes everything. Because we, we can do things that look selfless, but have strings attached. We can do things that are costly for us, but we're doing it just because I can't lose that relationship, so I, I, I need to do this. Or, you know, if I do this, then I'll look a certain way. I'll, I'll look good, and they'll think better of me. So I'm going to do this because I like how they think of me. But a true, selfless, expecting nothing in return act of love, it requires the gospel to unlock that. And here's what happens. I get so full of God's love that I'm so, I'm so full of his acceptance. I'm so full of his affirmation. I'm so full of his presence. I'm so full of his provision. I'm not then operating with my friendships with a deficit that they're to meet. So I'm full of of love so I can operate, and it's not just friendships, I can operate with my spouse, not saying, hey, I'm looking for you to meet a need for me. No, I'm I'm looking for God to provide those needs for me. I now want to selflessly serve you. I can operate with my kids. I'm not looking for, hey, I need you. I have expectations on you because that affirms something in me. No, I'm affirmed by God. I know my identity from God, so now I can selflessly love my children. 
without an expectation in return. I, I can now serve a friendship. I'm not going into a group of friends or I'm not going to a friend in particular looking for a need to be filled in me. No, God has filled that need. And so now I can selflessly serve. The gospel is the key that unlocks the capacity for us to truly not go into relationships measuring what is gonna, how is this going to affect me? What is this gonna do for me? No, I can, I'm, I'm full so I can pour out for others. Now here's, here's where he's gonna go next. I wanted to show you one more verse here in 1 John 4. With that as the definition of how love works and how friendships work, now he's going to show us what God's intention is to do through those friendships. And I think this is shocking. Look what he says, and, and let's keep going in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what he says. No one's, no one's seen like God. The Old Testament, Moses says, uh, can I just see you, God? God's like, well, you'd die. So um, you can't see the face of God and live. He's so holy, he's so pure, he's so powerful, it would overwhelm us. And so what John actually says earlier in this letter, he says, we, we saw Jesus. And John was very close with Jesus. I saw Jesus. You know, I hugged Jesus. I heard the voice of Jesus. I know what it sounds like when Jesus laughs. I mean, I, I saw his facial expression. I, I felt his embrace. I heard his voice. I know what the voice of Jesus actually looked like. Don't you wish you could have had that experience? John's saying, no one, we, we don't see, feel God. Sometimes we kind of in our souls feel his presence. But it's not like a physical, actual physical embrace, not with our, our senses. But he says this, if we love one another, two things happen. God abides in us. He, John uses this word all the time. It's like abode. It's like dwell. God dwells in us. Already in this chapter, he's talked about how we dwell in God and God dwells in us. It's this really intimate relationship. But he says, if we love one another, two things happen. God is living in us. He's abiding in us. And then the second thing he says, and this is mind-blowing, he says, his love is perfected in us. Now, how could anything about God need perfecting. Well, we use perfecting in two different, two different ways, and so does the ancient Greek. We use perfecting in like unblemished. So you rent a car, and you're really nervous because they had you like mark every like scratch that was previously there, and so you look at every single scratch, you know, even some that might be a scratch, you know, you just cover your bases, you pull back in, and you hand the clipboard back to the guy, and uh, hey, anything, any new scratches, and you were very careful, there's no, nothing, and you say, nope, it's perfect. So we use perfect meaning unblemished. That's one way we, we use perfect. But we also use perfect to mean like 
something that's been completed. So imagine a painter, and maybe for weeks he's been working on this painting, or she's been working on this painting. And she's standing there looking at the painting, and she's, it's like almost done, but there's just something that's missing on this painting. And so she, she thinks about it for a second, and she grabs her paintbrush, and she, she gets a little bit more paint. No, that's not the right color. She mixes the paint a little bit more, and, and she just puts one more stroke on the painting, and then she steps back, and she goes, perfect. The painting's now complete. This is the sense in which God is saying his love. When we love one another, it completes his love. Now, how does that, how could that possibly work? How do we complete the love? In other words, God wants to show love to the people around us, but he holds back what he's directly doing in their life so that he can fill us and use us to complete that act of love. Not long ago, um, Rebecca and I wanted to get a, a small bookshelf for, um, for Scarlett, our oldest. And um, she's wanting a bookshelf for all of her books in her room. So I ordered one online. It came like in this like package that was like this big and this thin. And I'm like, how is there an entire bookcase in that, in that thing? And I unwrap it and it's like completely disassembled. And I'm like, oh, that's how I'm going to put this all together. And so um, I, I go up into Scarlett's room and I lay out all the pieces and I get the instructions and I've got my drill and screwdriver and all the things that I'm going to need. And I start constructing it. And the kids come in and they say, oh, can we help? And I'm barely accomplishing it on my own. And I say, I would love for you to help. Now, my definition of help in this is not actual help. It's actually, I could probably do it better uh, on my own, but I actually want to spend the time with them, and I'm glad that they're in the room there. And so I say, sure. So what I actually do is I take the screws. There's all the pre-drilled holes, and I figure out where they go. And what I do is I take my drill, and I drill, I start the, the screws, because if I just handed them that and, and you know, in the screw, you no know, telling where it would go, you know, probably in a sibling's body or something. I don't know. Okay. So I just, I partially drew, drew uh, drill each screw until it's like stable. And then I hand them the drill and they drill it the west, rest of the way down. And then it's the other one, sir. And they drill it. And so like, I, I want you to picture that idea of there's something that I'm accomplishing as the father. I get it most of the way in, but I want my child to complete the work. I don't need my child to complete the work. I could actually do it better without them. But I love them. That's the only reason. This is what John's saying. I hope this blows your mind. He has a miracle. Miracles that he's intending to do in the lives of the people around you. And he's getting it almost all the way there, but then he's handing you the drill. His love, <laughs> this is incredible. His love, he, he holds back so that we complete his love in each other's lives. I want you to think about it like this. He has a miracle. He wants you to be a part of his miracle. 
And the way we get there, it has to start by us saying, okay, I'm loved by God. I'm cared for by God. I'm filled up by God. And so then I go into my relationships, my friendships saying, Lord, how can I be a blessing to those around, around me? And then when you find a friendship where they're pursuing the same thing, and now God is filling you up with each other, and then other friendships around, and as a group, you're filling, God is filling you up with each other. That's a powerful work. Now listen, Christian, what John is saying is, if in your mind you're thinking, all I need is Jesus, that's true. But if what you mean by that is, I can be off alone on a deserted island, me and my Bible, and some prayer, and I will be totally fine. That's all I need is to be alone with Jesus. That's a different story. Now, if you find yourself one day on a deserted island and all you have is Jesus, he will take care of you and he will be enough. But what John is explicitly saying is, you're right, all you need is Jesus. But God is intending to use other people to show you the love of Jesus in your life. We're not meant to walk this alone. That's not how he's designed it. So friendships, it's not something so, so low as it's just, it's a luxury that meets a recreational or emotional need. No, God wants to work miracles through friendships. You say, what kind of miracles? I want to just quickly give you Five miracles the Bible says that, that God does through us in each other's lives. The Bible is full of, of verses that talk about, we call them sometimes the one another's. He says, do this to one another, be this to one another. There's so many miracles that God works through us in our friendships. We could give you way more than five, but let's just start with this. If you're taking notes, then write this down. Here's the first one. God wants to work a miracle of encouragement through you in other friends' lives. And this is not a small thing. This is a powerful thing. Why? Because so often we find ourselves discouraged. Or one of the main things that the enemy is doing in our lives is breathing lies or accusations or insecurities in our life. And we just wish we could sit with the person of Jesus like John did and just hear his words and the tenor of his voice and the look in his eyes. We just wish we could hear his words over us. But what John is saying is, no, he's going to fill us, that God, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in us so that we can be the presence of Jesus in each other's lives. So that we can be God, we, they can hear our voice, but be hearing God's words over each other's lives. L listen to what the scripture says. Let me, let me read this to you. It's in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, listen, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We're commanded to do this work of encouraging. That's not just a, a shot in the arm and a pick-me-up. That is sometimes pulling someone you love that you don't even know the depths of discouragement and despair that they're in. God wants to work a miracle through your words of encouragement. And he's been working in them, but to finish the job, 
He's handing you the drill. Here's the second one. God wants to work a miracle of provision. You know, God's the provider. He doesn't need us. He likes to use us in each other's lives. And that requires radical selflessness because God does the miracle of provision in other people's lives through our acts of selfless generosity. That's how he does it. In fact, that is so generosity to each other is so central to the gospel that in that verse that I just read a few moments ago um, from a chapter earlier about what defining what love is, let me read you the rest of what he says. Let's, let me read it to you. This is 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Look how what he says next. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He says, look, if you have a friend and they have a need and you have the means to meet that need, be generous to them. But here's what the world often does. When times get tight, when the economy's uncertain, when the cost of everything goes up, just hypothetically, what the world does is they pull back and say, well, look, I'd love to help, but I don't know what's coming. I got to hoard this and hold this for myself. And so when things get tight and uncertain, the world retreats from generosity. Why? Because they think that they are their own provider. But the same God that wants to work a miracle through you is working miracles for you. He's your provider. Christians, we don't retreat from the need. We run to the need. That's what Jesus did. It's an act of generosity that he left heaven and came down to earth. It's in times where there's greater needs that Christians step up with greater generosity because their souls are at rest. They're a child loved by God and God is pouring out his provision for them. And it's a time where we demonstrate that. God wants to work a miracle in our lives, a miracle of encouragement and a miracle of provision. God wants to work a miracle of acceptance. Listen to this. This is such a powerful verse out of Romans 15. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Why is that such a miracle, a miracle of acceptance? Because there's so often people wondering and they're operating as if God does not, does not want them around, does not accept them around, does not, uh, does not, is mad at them and is far from them. But when we as the body of Christ, when we can be the warm embrace of God, we can demonstrate through our hospitality the acceptance of God. But that requires selflessness because we love to clamp down on our friends and say, look, I, these are just for me. I can't have the threat of letting someone into my friend group. We've got a good thing going in our small group. I don't wanna disrupt that by adding a new person. 
I've got, I've got my one best friend and you know, this other third person I don't want to add in because I don't want to share my best friend. And so what we do is we hold tight rather than selflessly welcome in and looking for the person, going the extra mile of looking for the person who's not connected in and saying, I'm so full by God, I don't have a scarcity mindset. No, I'm welcoming you in. And by doing that, there is a miracle of acceptance that we feel through each other. It's God's acceptance that he's working through us. Here's the fourth one. He wants to work a miracle of presence in each other's lives. Let me read to you what this says, a powerful verse in Ephesians. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Man, there's such a a powerful moment when a friend is walking through a difficult time and their friends come around them, they don't correct them, they don't condemn them, they don't instruct them, they just bear their burdens with them. They're just there, present, as long as it takes. It's those moments where we're just longing for the, we just wish we could feel the embrace of the Father. And he says, well, I'm going to finish that miracle through a friend. And we can feel that presence in the embrace of a friend as we bear each other's burdens. And what that takes is the selflessness to say, in this time of need, that friend has nothing to offer me back. But I've been so loved by God, I'm so filled that it's okay, I can bear their burdens with them. And here's the last one. God wants to work a miracle of guidance. Christian, how many times have you prayed, God, I just, you just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Help me, I don't know what to do, God. And sometimes God just works in that time of prayer, but a lot of times he's like, okay, I've got them right where I want them. Here, finish the work. And we, he speaks through friendships. Listen to what this says in Colossians 3. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. He wants to speak through the miracle of speaking through us in each other's lives. Now, so often, Christian, we jump to doing the miracle of guidance when what's actually needed is just the miracle of presence. Often, and men, I think we're worse at this, often what we need is just listening and presence. And can I advise you to wait for when a friend might actually ask you for for, for guidance, and then when your friend does ask you for guidance, if they do, don't reach into the recesses of your brilliant experience from life, <laughs> but look for the dwelling of God and lean on that to speak through you, the indwelling God and the word of Christ to be what advises, because oftentimes, I could have read another verse that says, confess your sins to one another. Oftentimes, the the best guidance, well, pretty much all the time, 
The best guidance comes from a place of self-disclosing vulnerability, not fronting how capable I am of guiding, but humbly being shoulder to shoulder with a friend and vulnerably saying, here are the mistakes that I often make and here's what I'm trying to do. That's how we humbly bear one another's burdens and at times God uses to do the miracle of guidance. Christian, (laughs) your relationships, your small group relationships, it's not just about, ah, it meets a need for me. You know, I'm I'm not doing anything tonight. I'm going to go to small group. I I actually have time. I have the energy, so I'm going to go. No, no. It is a miracle he wants to do in your midst every time by bringing his love all the way to a point and then inviting his child in to finish the job. And as we're filled by the love of God and then we enter into these relationships, we're being filled with the love of God. Now we're filling each, God is filling each of us by his love through us. He is working all kinds of miracles of his presence and his guidance and and his provision and his acceptance and all of these things that he is doing these miracles in our friendships. And if we understand those miracles, man, those are things we do not want to miss out. And friendship becomes something that we get as as a priority, a discipline, a practice in our lives. But let me just speak to those of you, maybe you're here and you say, look, I I love all that you're saying and I'm in, but I got to be honest, I feel empty right now. I don't feel filled by the love of God. And so here's how I want to just end our our time together. Can I just end for those of you who are saying, I am not in a space where I am feeling the love of God, experiencing the love of God, and I want to be filled so that I can have those types of relationships and friendships. How I want to end is I just want to pray over you. And ask that God would do that miracle right here in our midst. And maybe, maybe in faith, He has brought some of us to a point and he wants to finish that miracle here when we're together. So can we just go before the Lord in a time of prayer? If that's you today and you're just saying, "I, I wanna feel the love of the Father. then here together with your brothers and sisters, just silently just humble yourself before the Lord and just tell God, just silently right there in your heart, say, God, that's me. Would you help me to feel your love today? I feel alone, but I know you're with me. Heavenly Father, I just pray over each of these, your children, your sons and daughters that are calling out to their Abba Father. Many of them feel alone. They don't want to use other relationships to meet their needs, but they, but they need you to, they need you to come closer and feel your love. 
So Lord, we, we together as, as this whole church family, we ask that you would help us to experience your love together through each other today. Lord, would every single person, part of the City Rev family, would every single one of us know what you've said about who we are? We're your daughters and your sons. You said, if you didn't withhold Jesus from us, if you gave your only son an unimaginable sacrifice, would you not give us all things? And so we trust you, God. We trust that you love us. We trust that you love us when you walk us through difficulty. We trust that as we walk through the difficulty that our lives will be just like Jesus. We'll walk through suffering, but at the other end, there'll be glory that's unimaginable and that we know that you are hurting with us, God, as a father. You, you shed tears with us. You, you're, you're, you know everything that we're experiencing, Lord. We know that you shed the tears with us, but we know that you are anxiously waiting the redemption that's coming in our lives. And we know that you love us so much that you're at work in our lives, making us into the image of your son. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much that in our moments of weariness, you call us, you say, run to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so we run to you asking for rest. We thank you that Jesus, you are our good shepherd. You're always guiding us. You're guiding us through the pastures that are gonna nourish us, that are right by still, still waters that are gonna refresh us. And we know even when you lead us through the valleys of the shadow of death, we have the perfect shepherd protecting us, guiding us, keeping us in line. We thank you that you are with us and that you love us and you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for who you say that we are. We're children. We're fellow heirs with Christ. We'll reign with you in heaven. How could we have been given such an incredible salvation that even the angels in all of their might and glory, they look at how you've redeemed us and what you've done for us and they lean over from the edge of heaven and they look at it just shaking their heads. They can barely understand the incredible work of redemption you are working in every one of our lives. We thank you. We thank you that you see us I thank you that you see every single one of us, wherever that we're at, and you say, I see you. I know where you're at. I know what you're walking. And Lord, I pray for that person who's wanting to take that step of faith and becoming your child today. I pray over that person who wants to accept you as their Lord and Savior today and is saying, today's the day Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior. I will follow after him. Just surround that person now. Fill them with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to those of you who just took that step of faith for the first time. Maybe you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, and if that's you, I want to encourage you, if you're here, to go to guest services. We have a Bible we'd like to give to you. So take that Get Connected card in the seat back in front of you to guest services. We'll give you a Bible today and celebrate with you. If you're watching online, um, there's a, a, you can go to cityrev.org faith. And you can go there on your uh, computer, tablet, device, your phone. Go to cityrev.org faith. And um, we would love to mail you a Bible. So if you're watching online. 
Church, as we push into the love of God, we know that he always responds. And so we, we're going to end with a song that celebrates the work that God is doing in our midst, in us as a church, in our lives, in our families, in our friendships. So would you stand with me as we close with that celebration? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.